Alright, welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic, the drinking man's book club. I'm Adam. I'm Sean. And I'm Mike. And we're here to prove an English degree is worthwhile by sharing a cocktail or three together and discussing a book. This episode, we're focusing on Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, which was Mike's pick. So in nerds tradition, whoever picks the book picks the drink. So Mike, uh, walk us through what you brought for us. All right. Well, since there are many references in the book to Nippon, uh, forgive any pronunciations, of course, uh, the Nipponese culture. Um, I thought a Japanese whiskey would do the trick. And uh, so I brought a bottle of this Kikori, again, per- forgive any pronunciations. And it's actually rice whiskey, which I have not had before and barely qualifies as whiskey in the traditional <laughs> sense. It is 100% uh, rice-based whiskey, so it's a little wow. closer to sake, if anything. But they call it whiskey, and they sell it as whiskey, and it's aged in uh, barrels and meets American requirements for whiskey. So, Wow, yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, is going to be a new one for me as well. I am excited. Just So, first of all, Mike has brought these glorious whiskey-tasting glasses. Mm. Mm-hmm. These are called Glencairn glasses. This is what you want to taste all your whiskey in. Well, thank you. Really? Mm. I've been doing it wrong. I've just been putting the bottle to my face. I drink prune juice on That works just as well. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, you know what? It's funny that you say, like, being rice, because it does look lighter than the whiskey I'm used to seeing. Oh, yeah. It coats the glass nicely, though. Now, Japanese whiskey is, the way I understand it, usually made more akin to scotch than, say, American bourbon or rye. This, though, again, I, I am, I'm guessing that's probably not the case. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever had sake before. It's been many years for me, but this is going to be a lighter experience, I suspect. The last time I had sake, uh, a cook was squirting it into my mouth at one of those places where they spin eggs on the edges of uh, specialists and things. Yeah, and you feel vaguely racist for having them put on a show like that when they could just cook you the food instead. That they get paid. We do have a full bottle here, though, Sean, so we could uh, try to recreate the experience for you if you're more comfortable that way. Get your super servers out of it. Let's do this. (laughs) I got an oven upstairs. (laughs) All right. Shall we try it then? Yeah. Okay. It tastes like burning. (laughs) You know what? You said it was going to be more like a sake experience, and I do get that. Excuse me. I'm not much of a whiskey guy. Full disclosure. You sure you're enjoying this at all, Sean? (laughs) I am loving it. (laughs) I get a a lot of vanilla. I think it's it's very. um, I mean, it's very. It's much lighter than than a normal whiskey. But honestly, like if you had poured this in a glass, not told me what it was, I would not have thought it was anything but whiskey. I, I get enough of a whiskey flavor here that I would have believed it to be a whiskey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm relying too much on the the visual of the color. Yeah, and that's like throwing off my taste or what I would expect. Kind of tastes like a, like a Jack Daniels that's had water in it for a little bit, maybe or yeah, kind of a mild Tennessee whiskey kind of taste. Yeah, like. there's I don't know. It's it's definitely on the vanilla honey side of things more than like a spice or something like that. And for our listeners, yeah. the color since we've referred to it several times almost looks like a Chardonnay, you know? It's, yeah, it's like it's a, a good yellowy idea. sort of, yeah. maybe a Pinot Grigio, something yeah. like that. All right, gentlemen, so I have the tasting notes. Can, can I throw out one thing that I Please. think I taste? Yes. I'm going to say oak. Okay. Mm. It was aged in oak barrels, I believe, so that's... Point yeah, Where's point the dinger? Ooh, we didn't, we didn't know. I didn't get the bell. bell. Have All right. I I'll get it for next one. All right, so uh, let's see. Uh, oh, there's, there's even uh, notes for the nose. 
Uh, it is supposed to be reminiscent of sweet pea flowers. I'm honestly surprised that we had not said that already. That one's kind of obvious. You know what? I've gone nose blind because that's my actual <laughs> cologne. So. Oh, there you go. And it then reveals sandalwood and fresh cut grass. It's not making me think about mowing my lawn, man. <laughs> I don't get any of those, but I, I have zero Maybe a little sandalwood, I, I I would say. I must be the biggest noob in the room here. I clearly am. My, my glass is empty, and you guys are still... <laughs> Sean, here you go. I'm used to just coming like, back like a shot. You're going have a whole glass right. here in a I moment. Mean, can so. I also note that the bottle is corked? Which is it better is than it's, it's immediately better than any whiskey I typically drink. <laughs> oh, poor Sean. <laughs> Sean is more of a rum drinker, so, All we'll, right, have to, so we'll have to find one we can drink rum with. There you go. The palate is delicate with notes of baton rice candy wrapper, obviously. Yeah. Grain. Uh, it's a whiskey that stands to reason. Yeah. Orange blossom. I don't know if orange blossom is different from like uh, maybe a light sort of orange citrusy, which I I guess I do get a little of that. I would think an orange blossom would just taste like sticking a flower in your mouth and chewing on it. Well, a little waxy. Yeah. (laughs) Aside from the tingling left on the tongue, the finish is surprisingly dull. Surprisingly, this is from that Corey's describes... own website, isn't it? No, this is this is an independent review. That sounds like me. Surprisingly <laughs> dull. <laughs> All right. You know what? Like, I am the one person who is so influenced by tasting notes that as you told me that, I'm like, oh, I get some citrus, or my tongue. Actually, my tongue was tingling, but perhaps we should look at that's just your Corey's own tasting yeah. notes. Still kicking in. <laughs> well, we uh, we have uh, whiskey cubes and larger glasses, uh, so perhaps uh, it is time to uh, imbibe a little bit more. I agree. All right, let's we'll do see it. you on the other side. Right. All right, and we are back after having some more of the Kokori and some other beverages here. Hopefully, you've got something with you as we start to talk about Stevenson's Snow Crash, which. Uh, is a subgenre that I was completely unaware of until reading Cory Doctorow recently and then Snow Crash from Stevenson. Uh, it's cyberpunk. So I was just wondering, like, if we could talk about what cyberpunk literature is for people who don't know what it is. So I think cyberpunk is typically near future. I don't want to say dystopian necessarily, but it's typically like there's some sort of lurking sort of power structure that, you know, controls society. And um, obviously, computers and technology are like the central piece. They're not mm. just present. They're like a huge part of, of the narrative. So um, you might consider, uh, for for example, The Matrix to be cyberpunk, maybe? Um, maybe. Johnny Mnemonic? Yeah, that would be one. And then there's uh, there's usually an element, uh, at least in my experience, of, of like, you know, that newer element you know, sort of like the dark urban sort of landscape and that kind of a thing. So the genre was, I don't want to say created, but kind of brought to prominence in the 80s by Neuromancer, by that novel. Mm-hmm. Um, Snow Crash and Neuromancer, as far as novels go, are probably like the two older sort of like Hall of Fame legend examples of of the genre. So I get that. I see that a lot in what we read. In my experience, too, you also tend to see elements of, like, structural inequities that 
the little guy, quote unquote, ends up like using technology to fight against the big guy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. which we can get to when we get towards the the climax of this book to carry on a running joke from the first episode, <laughs> meaning sexual climaxes in books. Yeah, let's make that a, a sort of like Superman and Seinfeld. We'll have Adam make a sexual reference in every one of our podcasts. Oh, I can totally make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was just going to happen anyway. Good. What else do I do when I read a book? <laughs> so this book predates the internet 2.0 as we know it. Because this was what, 96? 92. 92. Yeah. Predates the internet. God, 92, yeah, predates the internet. Mm-hmm. And here Stevenson is talking about the metaverse, which you goggle into with like VR slash AR glasses. He's talking like millimeter wear, gargoyle suits, and oh my gosh, I fucking like dorked out over all of the stuff he talked about and loved it but like what did you guys think did it age okay considering now we have like phones that can use ar that part of it didn't the the phone thing was a little off but i mean a lot of it was pretty prescient i'd say i think that i mean and and neil stevenson uh, is often called by his fan base you know prophetic for some of these things he himself has has downplayed that um you know, sort of like uh, like Bob Dylan saying that he is not the voice of a generation and, and resisting that. Dylan. We're gonna we're gonna, I, we're gonna work that into every. You're podcast fishing for the Dylan. Well. We're gonna do Dylan. this. We're gonna yeah. make that. You, you do sex. I'll do Dylan. Okay. All right. Sure. And I just kind of thought about Dylan today too, which is weird. I was listening to Tom Petty on the radio, and I'm like, well, shit, Tom Petty is like a more radio friendly Bob Dylan. That's right. He's Damn. he's like if Dylan could sing in key, yes. then you have Tom Petty. Yes. And catchy tunes. Yeah. But but Stevenson has resisted, you know that that. Uh, sort of like profit moniker. He's uh, he said in more than one interview that I've seen um, that if if you write speculative fiction and you basically uh, predict enough shit, some of that shit is bound to look familiar somewhere down the road. I'm paraphrasing, pretty of course. Wise. He said it more eloquently than I did, but no, that's that's pretty wise. Like any speculative fiction tends to find some hits when it comes to technology coming down the line and some misses too well they've also got their finger on the pulse of you know tech industry i'm sure he did his research before he wrote this and knew what was potentially possible yeah with a world wide web things like that and in fact at the end of the book he talks about in the acknowledgments how this was supposed to be a computer generated graphic novel mm-hmm. first which fucking blew my mind in 92 like He's talking about using um, Commodore 64s and shit yeah. in his acknowledgments, and he was trying to do some <laughs> graphic novels out of this on his computer, writing code. I remember spending like six hours on a fucking Commodore 64 trying to make a ball bounce across the screen. I can't imagine programming a, a graphic novel generator. Nope. Well, he was hired by, was it Jeff Bezos maybe recently, uh, and his title was <clears throat> Chief Futurist, which Oregon. is a cool fucking title. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know exactly what he did in his capacity as chief futurist, but it's neat that Stevenson writes this kind of stuff and he actually comes from that kind of background and has that kind of knowledge. You know, he's not just a person who is a writer first and then looks up a bunch of like cool techie sounding shit to work mm, into right. his novel. It's kind of with Stevenson, it's almost kind of the other way around. He's uh, working on the Blue Origin project that his space company, whatever Bezos is okay. trying to do. So, yeah. I don't know what that means, what he's doing, but that's. The capacity he works in. He's not just a futurist. He is the chief futurist. The chief futurist, yeah. He's not the assistant to the chief. <laughs> no, the chief. Well, I aspire to be the chief at some point. Uh, all hail 
No, that's a different movie. Hells of the Cheapy. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> Bring in some Evil Dead references oh, here. Oh, man. Ash Williams is one of my all-time favorite characters. Ash as misogynistic and backwards <laughs> as he is. He's lovable. Terrible human. But, exactly, exactly. All right, so let's get to first reactions of the book. You know, I've kind of set us up to talk about the bigger ideas, but let's come back to the nitty-gritties. What did you guys think about uh, our friends here, hero, protagonist, and yours truly, well, I'll, I'll go first since I've read it before. Uh, sure. Not in many, many years, but uh, I, I this is the book that introduced me to Neil Stevenson around 2006 or so. And then I've become a huge Stevenson fan. I've read a lot of his books uh, since then. Uh, most recently, Dodge, which came out just a year ago or so and mm. was uh, this really awesome but very strange sort of – it started as like a tech thriller – Morphed into like a Miltonian Paradise Lost sort of creation <laughs> story. And by the end, it turned into Lord of the Rings, like fantasy shit. It was awesome. It sounds on brand for him. It was <laughs> wild. It was really cool. Um, but anyways, so this is the first time I've gone back to Snow Crash in, you know, well over a decade. And, uh, you know, I was I, – I would describe this as like a, a diet version of Neil Stevenson. If you wow. read – you know, most of what he's written since it is, you know, the ideas are even bigger and the page count is even longer. Um, you know, he, he has taken what he did with Snow Crash and he has like, you know, just expanded it wildly. That said, it was nice, you know, it, this was sort of like his Garage Punk album almost, you know, mm. after years of doing progressive metal or something. Is this the one the fans come back to as like, yeah, why don't you write more Snow Crash, right. man? Get back to like, yeah, the, the, the stripped down sort of like, you know, that and that's how this felt. It was yeah. for all of, you know, the, the, the narrative craziness that goes on in this book as well as like the profundity of the ideas yeah. the mythology and you know the idea of language is virus and all this shit i'm sure we'll talk about but this book like seemed like i said like diet neil stevenson uh, compared to a lot of stuff that he's written since um enjoyed it very much though i, I enjoyed it then and, and i enjoyed it again now i gotta tell you this felt a lot like my introduction to cory doctorow where like he had me in the first few pages with like the ridiculous pizza deliverator so and you've got to get it in 30 minutes. Otherwise the mafia comes and gets you and like goodness knows what uncle Enzo is going to do if you don't deliver in 30 minutes, but that's a bond that uncle Enzo will never break. He doesn't fuck with his pizza. When you think about that first chapter, if you try to describe it to somebody, it's just absurd. He's driving a car. He's a pizza delivery man, but he's also a hacker and he's the world's greatest swordsman self-proclaimed. Yeah. Both in the metaverse and in real life. And he has to get it, as you said, there in 30 minutes. And he is latched onto by like a road surfer. <laughs> yes. Um, and he's, he's pooned. In try he's pooned. And then in trying to lose her, he crashes into somebody's fucking swimming pool. And then he just flees on foot while the person who pooned him takes the pizza and delivers it. Mm -hmm. Like that is the most absurd fucking plot line I've ever heard or would ever try to describe to anyone. And the book starts that way. And it works. Even as yeah. you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess it would be that way if, if the pizza delivery business were, were so powerful and run by the mafia. Well, and being from Buffalo, I kind of got it. Yeah. I'm like, hmm. pizza's cutthroat. You can't make shit pizza or never deliver it and still exist in this world. That's true. I think there are some mafia-run pizza places in Buffalo, or there traditionally were. I'm not sure if they still are. I think they diversified into concrete and personal loans and politics 
and uh, some real estate oh, and maybe some alcohol yeah. dealing. And if we want to keep our podcast, let alone our fingers, where we won't name those establishments. So. No, find, <laughs> find them at. No. Find purveyors of pizza nonetheless. So. They are, they're good guys, Quite may I say. <laughs> good fellas. I see what you did there. Oh, thank you. Very it's, nicely done. It's funny listening to you guys talk about it. I did not have this reaction to it. I got worried because you said, what was it, ire earlier? Vitriol. Ire. Vitriol. Yes. <laughs> yes. You used the word vitriol as I was walking upstairs and went, well, here we go. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because you're talking about the absurdity of the first chapter. I'm, re- I'm reading it what the fuck am I reading? What the fuck is this? And, you know, for the cast, I stuck it out. And I, and Thank I, you. I mean, normally I, I probably would have said, like, why am I? And then, like, moved on. But. Then there were moments of like, it grabs me. And then I don't know, maybe it's just the way my brain works. I couldn't, I couldn't buy it. There was too many, too many things going on in the story that I sat there and I went, fuck no. <laughs> YT stands for yours truly. I, yes. I didn't even get that. I, I didn't. She says it once. Does she? Yeah. She does. I must have been falling asleep when I read that part. I, I, I missed that. This was That's less. This was less absurd to you, or more absurd to you than than hero protagonist. Well, th- see, when I saw that, I'm like, is his real name fucking hero protagonist? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you know. And yeah. I guess my my first take after a few chapters in, I was like, I've read student fiction at school on par with this, and that that was my first take. Damn it. And I, I don't, I don't want to be like like a like a Neil Stevenson downer because eventually I came around on a lot of it. But my first take of it was just like he's just like he's got like a shotgun of ideas and he's just shooting them at the page <laughs> and like nothing is developing. It's just like Franchulet, Mr. T, or well, not Mr. Yeah. T. I'm sorry, Mr. Lee and Poon and YT and Dentata. And I'm like, well, I know that from from college uh, Shakespeare and <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. He's just like, bum, 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 and he's like constantly shooting shit at me. And I'm like, fuck, slow down. I want some development. Now he lives in a freaking <laughs> container and oh wait, no, but he's the band manager for like the biggest guy, like biggest punk band on the planet for Taylor. Or was it? Uh, who lives in the trailer with him? Yes, no, it's not a trailer. <laughs> Container, it's whatever a it is. Vitaly and the what? A, and the, the, like a storage uh, facility. Vitaly Chernobyl and the Meltdown. Yeah. There we go. Yes, and then like there's this guy with a nu- <laughs> nuclear bomb strapped to his friggin' heartbeat or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it just kept pummeling me with like no chance to sit there and absorb it and go, what is yeah. happening? Why do the, Why does everyone live in like a bird clave? You know, I, yeah. I, I didn't, there were some things that he didn't do that I felt and I don't want to be a whiny like idiot because I like love... you were during World War Z. Well, <laughs> touche. I so say it with love. Okay. Be a be a whiny idiot. I Continue. love books that just drop you in the middle of things yeah. and let yep. you go. But at the same time, he doesn't stay tethered to anything, and he's just bouncing around. And I don't want to get to the end of the book just yet because well, I'm sure no. we'll get there naturally. But there were so many like lazy plot resolutions that he he falls back on i'm going like like you said when mm-hmm. you said it's neil stevenson light i'm like so this is kind of like his like rough draft attempt at doing something different in the vein of neuromancer that maybe wasn't and to me wasn't 100 percent successful um now th- this is really interesting that we have this in our podcast because if you go online and you read about neil stevenson almost everything you read about him will mention that he's an extremely divisive writer. You mm. either love Neil Stevenson 
or you just don't get Neil Stevenson. So, at all. so I'm that guy. And there's no in between. There's nobody yeah. who reads Neil Stevenson and they're like, oh yeah, whatever. That was a decent mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. It's you either really react to it well or you just don't enjoy it at all. See, I don't regret having read it. Yeah. I'm not sitting here going like, well, I just wasted a few weeks of my life reading this book. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it's the stupid English teacher in me that's just telling me like no narrative problems and I, I can't I can't disconnect from that. Now this book has like very in, in in terms of traditional fiction writing, it has very clear like I don't know if problems is the right word, but Neil Stevenson was not a writer first. You know, he was a techie guy first and and then came to writing. And uh for me, reading it, I didn't think about this back you know, 15 years ago, but I thought about it reading it this time is there's like four or five chapters in the middle of the book that are just long info dumps about Sumerian mythology. And where he's sitting with the librarian. Yeah. Saying, like, I kind of like that. And, and, then well, and that's the reason it works is because it's interesting. Right. But, yeah. but it is not something you, you normally see allowed in fiction that publishing industry usually, you know, squashes that immediately. Yeah. They sort of frame it narratively like, oh, yeah, he's in the metaverse and he calls up this friendly librarian. But but it literally is just info dumps. And he like prods the librarian with questions once in a while. But it's literally just the librarian saying like, and then this shit happened and like talks about Sumerian mythology and history and all that stuff. And this goes on for like five chapters. It reminded me of early in Lord of the Rings uh, when when uh, we get like the entire history of the ring. And it's just Gandalf talking to Frodo at the table. And, you know, that kind of info dump is rarely allowed in fiction. But Neil Stevenson, not being a writer, you know, doesn't always follow those conventions. I'm going to go deep in the weeds as a different nerd, though, and call out Tolstoy for doing an info dump in Anna Karenina. Because there's about 200 pages of motherfucking cutting grass where the protagonist is just thinking. (laughs) To us. Well, there's like five or six books of In <laughs> Search of really Lost cool. Time. By I Mark. am. <laughs> yeah. I, well, honestly, I will tell you that Anna Karenina was the first book that I allowed students to rip up in front of me and use as deletion poetry. <laughs> where you like scribble yeah. out stuff <laughs> and find words in Don't it. Don't tell a certain colleague of ours about that because I oh, think I, she would be very upset with you. I clearly don't care. Wow. Yeah. See, my, my only Russian literature class was B. Red Nabokov, and it was mm. Lolita. Mm. It because had our, to be. my professor got sick the week before we started, and his adjunct took over, or his oh. whatever you call it, like Slacky. grad student or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, the only one I've read is Lolita, so we're going to do that for the whole semester. I'm like, okay. 16 weeks of Lolita. Pretty much. We, we talked about perverts for 16 weeks. <laughs> well, there's a lot to talk about there. I figured that's where Martian literature is. So pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so uh, your description of 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 the uh, Tolstoy text reminded me of uh, Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time, which I've read roughly the first half of the first book of, and which is a thousand books. pages, right? You've read a thousand pages then. Yeah, I, f- I felt like it yeah. because uh, it starts off with a guy eating some kind of cookie, and it reminds him of this other time when he was younger that he had that cookie, mm. and then we're off and running for thousands of pages, like about his memories and stuff by the way not shitting on marcel uh, proust at all i find uh, i find it fascinating but it is uh, it's it's like stevenson not for everyone <laughs> is you talking about the, the plot to give a mouse a cookie <laughs> yeah yeah yep, marcel that's right. proust, pretty much yeah. forty-three thousand pages of give a mouse a cookie yeah wow. it, we don't give enough credit to give a mouse a cookie because it took proust and simplified it so that children can read it in a few pages it's my kind that's of true. shit right there yeah now, All right. Only someone could explain to me why Goodnight Moon is fucking classic. I it don't sucks. understand. It's stupid. All right, Anyways, so I'm the hater. Seven-year-old. Yep. And you guys are going to have to defend this thing to me. 
I think that's the way that this cast is going. We're well, just right. I want. Yeah, we're just right. I mean, it's 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 okay on, to man. be wrong sometimes, yeah. Sean. And we're not. This is a judgment free zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel a hero, and I just got to pull out my fucking katana and <laughs> slice you can't make a reference to the protagonist of the book in a positive way that you want to hate on. Yeah, that's true. That was one of the things that bothered me. Is that this guy just walks around with freaking like samurai swords and and no one like bats an eye at him. I mean, it's the future. Yeah. It's not the future though. That's it's what the, gets it's me the now. It's what, fine. That's another thing that it's I'm like the near he's now talking about World War Two and Vietnam, and then it's like the future. There's yeah. like, right. dude, like that for me was problematic. Like the fact that Hero is the son of a World War Two vet. Yes. Right. Yeah. Think about where that would put him when that technology... I mean, and again, if he wrote this in 92, maybe he's predicting the year 2000 like everyone did back then. Like, that's when we're going to live in the metaverse or whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, do the math here. And then consider YT is explicitly described as a 15-year-old, and that left me with a huge problem at the end of the book that I'll yes, get to. Yes, I agree on that. Uh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, we all yeah. know. what I, It's like the freaking scene from, uh, from It, you know, that we all know and never yeah. talk about. It's yeah. just... That was uncomfortable. There were some problems with that. And then, ah, I, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I think the idea, what Stevenson is is an idea writer. He starts with the ideas. Yeah. That The ideas don't emerge from the narrative. The narrative emerges from the ideas. And it's like that in all of his stories. Um, most of which, I, I will say, are, are better written and much like better narratives than Snow Crash. Snow Crash is like your introduction. It's Diet Neil Stevenson. Um, but if you read some of his other books, like The Baroque Cycle, which is just fantastic historical fiction, um, it's much more – it's better done. But I think the idea with Snow Crash was let's describe like a, a near future where like central power has like completely been destabilized and like corporations have basically taken over everything and it's a bunch of like small enclaves of, of, of that shit. But to avoid 300 pages of info yeah. dump – you need to just throw somebody into it or yeah. like that. I, well, did, it, it, I did like that. Stevenson expects that you will get on board with the premise or you yeah. won't, I think. You know, he's not going to try to bring you along with it. And that's maybe why he's a divisive writer. But he, you know, he he also he's, – he's one of those writers that, he, you know, he, he has really big ideas. He's also really big on style. And the style mm-hmm. of this book was like – it was going to be like tech hipster mm-hmm. and it was going to be like – you know, the same thing you're talking about that you couldn't buy is one of the things that I love about the book. And there's nothing wrong with either of our opinions, but I'm like, yeah, the dude has samurai swords and steals yeah. motorcycles. And his the guy, the antagonist is a guy who like, you know, can canoe out in the ocean and is tethered to a nuclear bomb that he got from a nuclear submarine that he raided himself and stabbed everybody to death with a glass knife. I just love saying these yeah, things out loud. Wow, they it, amuse me. They sound <laughs> great. Doesn't it sound though like a 16-year-old like ranting at like, yeah, but like you a got fire fire I got this cool idea. You were just talking about Evil Dead before, right? And that is a movie where they you know, basically are like, let's take all the most over-the-top <laughs> horror shit. shit and just throw it at the screen. All right. Here, so I'm going to go and try to defend this again. One of the expectations of cyberpunk is that it is um, parody of the world. That the world is so fucked up that it needs no explanation because you just follow along because of how fucked up the world is. So you can make a world where hero protagonist is the name of the guy (laughs) and he carries samurai swords because fuck, would that be so weird anyways nowadays? No. When we have people who believe that 
There are government officials who sell children into sex trafficking and eat them. And that's an accepted political stance. <laughs> Samurai swords, I can buy. I guess maybe it was the narrative voice okay. that did it for me. Because generally, I'm really cool with that kind of shit. Like, yeah. you know, I can suspend disbelief for laser swords and, and freaking wizards and, you know, flaming eyes on top of towers. All that jazz. But the voice of it, it just, it, it felt so juvenile. And I guess maybe that was ultimately the turnoff for me. Because I like the premise of things. I like what he was, like, in the background. The world that all of this exists in sounds like a really neat world. Mm. But, again, there were so many inconsistencies with things and the way he approached it. And I guess I, now that you're describing it as he's an ideas guy first. And, you know, <laughs> it makes me feel like the book that I picked, man, I'm going to be eating a lot of my own shit for that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> but... Uh, just you wait. Oh, I'm bring it because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, going like, it's just the same fucking shit. It's a bunch of ideas <laughs> thrown out a very thin narrative, but um, it's uh, I don't know. I just I had a I had a hard time feeling like supportive of the characters. I, I liked YT up to a point. I liked Hero up to a point, you know, and I I disliked Raven for all the right reasons and and all of that, but. Just the you mean the statutory rape? Well, <laughs> we haven't got there yet. No, but, but we will. But the things that, just the things that, like, revolve around it, I felt like it, it needed more. Yeah. To me, it just felt like, um, like, yeah, I get the whole point of putting you in something and, and, and just sort of letting you sink or swim, but there just wasn't enough for me to feel comfortable with it. And maybe that's the point. I, and I don't necessarily disagree with your point here, because... One of the things that surprised me coming back to this after having read a lot of other Stevenson over the years was how little narrative is actually here. Uh, it starts off with like a lot of, of narrative, a lot, yeah, of plot. a lot of plot. And then in the middle, it almost stops completely. Like YT kind of wanders around a lot, mm-hmm. hoons a lot of cars and like works for the mafia, but she doesn't really do much other than just kind of wander around. Hero protagonist literally does nothing for like 200 pages running. Uh, he, he goes into the metaverse and talks to his librarian, you know, and when you get to the end, one of the thoughts that occurred to me is like, you know, this whole snow crash concept didn't even really make that many appearances on screen, so to speak, uh, on yeah. the page. That, that bothered me. Like sure. it happens to, can we just agree to call him David? Day five, it. Yeah, we yeah. call him David. We'll call yeah. him David. Mike and I had a conversation so. <laughs> in the hall like, is it Da Sid? Da Five? So we're going to just say, <laughs> what is it? We're just going to say David. So, yeah. but that, you know, that whole thing happens and it's like, oh shit, this is, this is happening. They're killing all the hackers and yeah. the old timers, heroes, buddies from the old days. And, uh, but then it doesn't really, other than mentioning that it exists, it doesn't yeah. make an appearance in the plot again. It, it's almost like an offhanded casualness to everything like oh now she's working for Uncle Enzo. oh he comes and busts her out of jail oh now he's here now it, there was no like thread that pulled yeah. all these like little vignettes of things together and it, i don't i keep using the word vignette because i'm going back to to world war z Last at this case, point but yeah. that's kind of how it felt like oh he's delivering a pizza and he crashes in a pool like all right I- i'm getting into it no no we're going some other direction now and no we're going over here now and no we're over there and, and it just felt like there were loose connections but the idea of a plot, it, it's sort of like like you're saying it. It's just sort of – I don't even know how to describe it. It yeah. just never really materialized. It's really interesting um, 
that you know that because I would point to some of his other books and I would say like it, it's really dense on plot and the plot is actually extremely complicated mm. and the characters you know I mean honestly like the characters in this book are are like the most paper thin characters that I've read in any Stevens mm. uh, Stevenson novels um, you know I, I, maybe he just got better as a writer as he went along and this mm. is the book everyone points to because it was like that's how he like made his name that was his breakthrough novel and because it's a very zeitgeisty book too it, it's 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 yeah. a book about the internet it's of the moment yeah right when all that stuff was about to explode you know so I think there's maybe those reasons why people point to this as like his most well known novel right. and I would argue it's not even close to his best novel if you read his other stuff i i didn't read it when it was fresh so this is my mm-hmm. first take on this and i guess that might make some sense as to why i'm having this reaction to it because mm-hmm. i've read other things similar more in their time and those are way more to me good stories maybe yeah. because i'm hyped up on how different it is like a uh, feed by mt anderson is a kid's book but i i used to teach that to sophomores and it just made me like that's like a futurist book and it's it's very satir- satirical and um, it's problematic too, narrative wise, but it's also to me like that one strikes hotter because I read it in 2000 when it came out, mm-hmm. like more close to that time. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe had I seen this before I got AOL, before, you know, all he of that pre- happened. He <laughs> predicts Ask Jeeves, right? The librarian is yeah. got to be Jeeves. Or uh, he also, uh, they're basically Google Earth exists in here yeah. because he keeps yeah. saying like a location and you the are Earth here. pulls up and it puts him down there. That so. was pretty cool. Yeah. That's all in there. The the word avatar, by the way, I believe comes from this book. Or that's when it started, not the word itself, but the way it's used. I double checked it and I have a weird tech addition to this in a sec. But in the acknowledgments, he says that avatar, after he goes back and looks, is used in a Japanese program that sounds like the sims but runs on commodore 64s yeah, it's still popular okay. said too yeah he yeah. said it was still popular when the book was published but that's where it was f- the word avatar gotcha. was used First more often used, yeah. um, i say weird tech story because jeff bezos creating amazon allowed me to like listen and read at the same time back and forth because i i bought it on kindle and then um i almost didn't finish it just because of things coming up and and personal things happening in life. And so I found that if you go to the Alexa app and you turn on like thing that like helps people who need help interacting with technology, it'll read the book to you. Hmm. So I would read like visit or read on my phone. And then I would switch over while I was doing other things to listening. Mm -hmm. And it was the Alexa dot talking to me. And reading the book aloud oh, wow. so that's where i heard neil stevenson say the whole Commodore yeah. 64 thing i can't remember the name of the the software he was talking about by the way amazon if you're listening and you would like to sponsor us we are currently <laughs> auditioning sponsors for this podcast thank you yeah we'll take anybody everybody you know pizza well, the mafia <laughs> why not yeah yeah uh, when we get to the dentata at the end of the book, oh sex toys, we'll do it. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, I'll do it. I can't speak for the other gents, <laughs> oh, but I'll do it. there's so much coming out here. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well. So, um, you know, I think a lot of what I was okay with, again, comes back to the expectations of the genre where, like, we are so fractured attentionally with technology that I was okay having Hero crash into a pool and then YT grab the pizza and go. And then Uncle Enzo and Mr. Bruce Lee, like all these things coming at me because 
I think it mirrors, even though it predates the internet and how we ingest it nowadays, it mirrors a lot of the way the world comes at us now in that fast snippets, fast, 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 more, half, 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 mm. smaller, but faster all the time. And in that way, even though it was 92, which, God, was the fucking Game Boy VR set out then? No. Not even. I don't think so. So, like, a lot of the things we take for granted nowadays that have sped up our lives have maybe let me accept a lot of the narrative holes that you guys have seen as just being shrug. Get off my lawn or something. Yeah. Yeah. Old man. That's right. I shouted, get off my ice the other day to somebody (laughs) on my pond. So I'm with you and we'll spray them with a hose. Nice. Neil Stevenson spoke about in a interview, um, the concept of the gargoyle from this novel. Yeah. So the information gathering for the central intelligence agency, you know, but he, you know, he compared corporation, Corporation, the CIC, because the government's basically nothing, but he compared that concept of the gargoyle, you know, somebody who you think you're talking to them, but they're really checking the credit score of somebody who's like across the room because they're constantly plugged in mm-hmm. and their mind's going in a hundred different directions at a time because of their technology. And it's, it's, it's sort of 50, 50 They're in the real world, but they're also in the cyber world. You know, and he talked about how like, that's not unlike the way most of us live our lives. Now, when you walk around, you can tell just from somebody's posture that they're holding their phone and they're texting or they're, you know, checking something online or something, you know, so that was interesting. That was, uh, the gargoyle is, is basically all of us now. Yeah. So I had a problem with Lagos though. The, the, the gargoyle that he comes in contact with. Yeah. The with. one that gets gutted. So yeah. this guy, we're supposed to believe. <laughs> whose name, whose name means the word, by the way. The Lagos. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's uh, Latin, right? Yeah. Okay. So he's a gargoyle working for the CIC. Who apparently now Hero also works for because he went from being a hacker to a pizza delivery guy to now yeah. he works for the CIC. Don't forget Band Promoter. Oh, that's true. I'm, band I'm promoter, sorry. Motorcycle I, thief. His business card needs more room. <laughs> He's the guy who also wrote the code for the librarian. Developed all of that high tech shit. Mm-hmm. And now he's out wearing a suit, tracking down Raven, and then getting his... his He's getting disemboweled. He's a wet operation. It, it just... Yeah. Like, that to me, it's like, that guy can't do all those things. I'm sorry. That that's was lazy fair. writing. He is... He cannot write a complex program like the librarian, do all of that, be known for that the, it, it, within the hackersphere, and then go and be this other guy who just happens to cross paths with Hero at the right moment. Like, there's a lot of that, too. Like, people crossing paths at exactly the right moment. Just the fact that Raven and Hero's dads oh, yeah. were prisoners of war together camp, yeah. in Japan yeah, before yeah. Nagasaki. I think it was Nagasaki, right? It was. Right. Come on. Really nice story, by the way. But well, yeah, yeah, it's a very unlikely one. It just, again, it felt forced. Yeah. So if there were fewer of those sorts of coincidental incidents and meetings, maybe you would have accepted it? Possibly. And again, if the if the narrative voice was a little less adolescent. It, again, maybe YT was supposed to be the point of view, I mm. guess. It, it's possible because it felt like a 15-year-old cyberpunk girl who mm. poons cars all day delivering shit. <laughs> I don't know why poon makes world. me smile so much, but every time I say poon, I get a big smile. Poon makes every man smile. There you go. There you go. Sorry, ladies. Mike just got this look of chagrin on his face. <laughs> I'm just smiling at the word. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It, it, like that, that whole thing with Lagos just... I'm reading about it going, okay, so he's like, a, basically, he's like a, a, a CIA spook, pretty much. Yeah. And like, no, wait, he's also a hacker extraordinaire. And all this, it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, man, he can't do all that shit. Hero can't be all these things either. Like, how, what is it, how old do you think he is? 
He's, I think he's 30 uh, or something around it there. It says right yeah. around 30. I can't put my finger on where yeah. it says so it. So he's around yeah. 30, but he designed the whole basement of the metaverse. Yeah, with David. Yeah, and and, and now he, like, he designed, like, conveniently he can use his sword to go through walls and things because he developed that software. Like, all these things, like, he, basically it's a, a, a Deus Ex Machina at that point. Like, he can do whatever he needs to do to serve the plot at that point in the story. And just the fact that he's a 30-year-old son of a World War II veteran living in this world that's supposed to be a near future, I just could not disconnect that. <laughs> Man. I'm sorry, guys. I'm I sorry. really, I really, really, really am sorry that we came to this point. I'm trying not to give my, my feelings in the book too much right now, but, like, you're killing it for me, man. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. You're killing it for me. Cyberpunk is to sci-fi as beach reads are to literary fiction. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So, like, you read this because you want to have a good time. You're, you Maybe you're looking for a little hard science, but not a ton. Maybe you're looking for a little bit of that, like, character development, but not a ton. You're looking for a good read, and this is, you know, 500 pages based on my print. I was just looking up some quotes. You know, it was a fast read for me, mm -hmm. and I think it was one, like you said, that was meant to get you thinking about the bigger ideas, yeah. not necessarily the literary merit of hero protagonist and yours truly. 563. Yes. So the Kindle book matches the, the paperback version. Okay. And in that way, like, I enjoyed it much more so than our previous book, which shall not be named, because it had a consistent plot with a narrator. Mm -hmm. There were plot problems. There are plot problems with every book, though. Maybe this one had bigger plot problems than others. But I guess I loved walking into it feeling like it was like tongue-in-cheek sort of parody. And that's okay. the point that I, I guess I would argue as well. It's, it's sort of like watching a John Wick movie. The absurdity, sure. you have to embrace it in order to appreciate the film. You know, the John Wick films are patently absurd, but that's part of what makes them so great. That's a good analogy, actually. Yeah. 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 And I think yeah. when you come to something like Snow Crash, you know, it, maybe it's not – John Wick is like so in your face with its absurdity, whereas Snow Crash is buried in – there's no bigger ideas in John Wick. It's just revenge and kill a whole fucking shit ton of people mm. with close-range headshots. But like in Snow Crash – like, like Raven, but in a movie. Yeah, exactly. In in Snow Crash, there are much larger ideas being discussed and talked about, which maybe makes it, you know, you there you therefore have higher expectations for the quality of the narrative and the plot. But the whole idea with Stevenson is that it's style and substance. And part of the fun of a novel like Snow Crash is, I mean, for me, is for accepting that he's having fun. Like he's laughing as he's creating a character who's strapped to a nuclear bomb. And is also, you know, someone who can kayak out into the ocean and attack a nuclear sub with a glass knife. Mm. You know, like he's having fun with those kind of ideas. And you you don't have to accept them. But if you do, they're a whole lot of fun. You are, man. You're a buzzkill. You just... Now Sean will share a good story about a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I think we come at speculative fiction expecting different things. That's it. Yeah. You know, based on our previous book conversation... I think Sean wants more hard science, uh, except he's cringing at his next book choice because <laughs> uh, he picked well, the next hard. book. <laughs> Whereas I enjoy, 
I guess I enjoy the the stories where the the little person gets their comeuppance against the big person, mm-hmm. right? The big person gets what they deserve. They fall from grace. They fall from power a little bit. Yeah. And progressing towards the middle of the book, I don't want to go to the end of the book yet, but we see that is the goal of Hero. Besides protecting the metaverse and all the human brains from mm-hmm. Snow Crash, there is a big element of... Well, El Bob Rife is clearly trying to jack the world up. Right. And later on, we find out that he's working with the American government because they have no power. And 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 he is in charge of like a media empire, you know, which yep. I think is extremely relevant now. Yeah, controls all the fiber optic yep. in the world, essentially, all the internet connections and all the jacks into the mm-hmm. metaverse. Yeah, and maybe we are not at the end yet, but I'll just throw this in here uh, early. The, 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 the concept of the raft. I really I wanted enjoyed, to get to that. Yeah. Really liked the raft. I thought that was cool. Kind of brings me back to my Waterworld again. There you go. We're gonna bring that. That's Sean's uh, thing. Sean's gonna be a bring Kevin up. Costner fan <laughs> pat fan podcast. Maybe a little. <laughs> so we've got Adam and Sex, uh, Mike and Dylan, and Sean and uh, Kevin Waterworld. Costner. Kevin Costner. Yeah, because it was the postman last time. That's yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll never run out of uh, Costner post-apocalyptic films, so no, get no. a little traction out of that. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep running that. <laughs> I did enjoy the idea of the raft. I thought that was really cool. And El Bob Rife is somebody you can definitely see modern analogs to. Like, there is no problem with that guy. Mm. No. I wondered, like, what happens to the metaverse after Bob Rife, you know, like, what goes on without him. But, like, yeah, we don't get a lot of the falling action. Yeah. No, there's no falling action, pretty much. Uh, no. There's a thin resolution. Very thin, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, basically, the last word on on Hero is that really cool, like, billboard that pops up for his, like, software repair yeah. service or whatever. Mm. But that's it. Like, that's that's it. Then uh, Hero is exit stage left, and we do not hear from him again. <laughs> but he hacked book. that within, like, 30 seconds. Of yeah. The yeah. Wait. He wrote the code to take care of Snow Crash <laughs> yes, yes. while he was on the dinghy, right. which I finally learned how to properly spell. Oh, but that was days. You're right. You're right. Those were days that Those they were, were days. that just lost at sea. Yeah, and he was writing code. I forgot about that. Yeah, you while YT was running around for the mafia, he was stuck on the dinghy, and he did get uh, Juanita at the end. Mm-hmm. She agrees yeah. to yep. be his nam shove or whatever. Well, naturally. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. I know we're not there yet, but uh, we can get there. Let's I, talk about the Babylonian stuff. I mean, okay, that's yeah, a pretty let's, cool. Let's go shit. to the, yeah. the Sumerian uh, shit. It was interesting. Like I said, it was an info dump, but it was yeah. it was one you tolerated because it was interesting. What pulled me into it immediately was as soon as they started talking about God masturbating and creating a world. <laughs> because you laugh. A so river many of origin semen. stories. Yeah. I had I had watched something on. Oh God. I want to say ancient aliens, but I don't want to lower myself to that point. But it's okay. I used to watch a lot of that kind of shit when I had cable on uh, history or TLC, not, not TLC, history or discovery or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of it would be talking about Sumerian legends and things like that. And they, one of the creation stories was God masturbates to create the world. And I always like that always sticks with me. Because I wonder why. I, it's just, you know, it's hard to get out of. It's not that interesting. It's like a celestial uh, jerkathon. But. How many more semen puns can we throw out in oh. 30 seconds? But that, like, that part of the book, when he. Talk about a big bang. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but that pulled me in, though, at oh, that God. point. I, so I started, like, I'm yeah. like, when he got into the librarian, that's like Robert Langdon shit. I'm like, oh, okay. Now we're getting into, like, some historical like, connective tissue here, ancient Sumeria. Bring it! Yeah. But yeah. then, like you said, it kind of becomes this sort of expository interlude. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, oh, stretch, you know, go get some milk duds or whatever. Come on back. The book will be right here where you left it. Yep. 
But now these are the ideas that populate Stevenson novels, though, and 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 obviously in Snow Crash it becomes this really interesting discussion of language, mm-hmm. um, and whether the human logic system or or learning or knowledge or whatever you want to call it creates. Uh, language so that we can communicate our thoughts or vice versa. Does our knowledge and our mm-hmm. learning stem from language? In which case language is, you know, like com- programming a computer. A brain is an empty right. computer and yeah. language programs it. Or as they make the point in the book, like a virus. I am down with those analogies. Yeah. That was my shit right there. As that, an English teacher, yeah. I was definitely hot for And that. a recovering <laughs> catholic. I'm like reading That's this right. going like, shit, I was exposed to this stuff for years. Yeah. Like, Religion's a virus. Yes, exactly. Multiple times. Man, it was like just reading that going like, you know, that's interesting, the whole Babel thing and, mm-hmm. and like that connection he makes with the Enki and all that. I was like, that How is- do you stop the spread of the virus is, is you have different languages and, right. and mm-hmm. then it can only go so far. But I mean, it, it it really, I think, is another one of those things that is still relevant today when we think about social media mm, and, yeah. you know, viral ideas that can work as a virus. And we see that obviously every day when we turn on the news, yeah. the shit that people we are digesting and yeah. believing because they saw it on social media, you know, it is like the spread of a virus. That and, connection and is very prescient again. His, yeah. his prophetic ability to see... That viral future there. And and interestingly, for such a tech guy, Neil Stevenson is very open about his d- almost disdain for social media for these reasons, obviously. Um, but he he's on it yeah. and not – Sean just like points to himself because he is yeah. the member not on social media. <laughs> but probably the happiest for it. Certainly. Look for me on nothing. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, but Neil Stevenson has, I believe, a Twitter and a Facebook, and I, I only know that because he mentioned it in his interview, in which he then went on to say that he essentially doesn't use them. Um, if he's had Twitter for like twelve years, he said there's like a dozen tweets on yeah. it or something like that. Who's the? Who's well, the, he's busy writing. He's like, well, uh, yeah, thousand page novels that come out every couple of years. Who, who wrote the Watchmen? He's like that guy. Oh yeah, from the Watchmen. Watchmen, the graphic novel. Yeah. yeah. Who the hell? Moore. Moore. Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Yeah. He's like Alan yeah. Moore, right? Like he yeah. shuns all of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's particularly interesting with Stevenson because he's a tech guy. He's known as a tech guy, mm. so you would expect him to embrace that kind of shit and be all over it. Disdains it. Yeah, you know it's yeah. weird. I love technology too, but I cannot stand social media. Yeah, well, can't. I won't. He actually said You're not missing anything. He, Stevenson said uh, in one interview that um, he, you know, he it, it obviously has tie-ins to some of the ideas in some of his books, like Snow Crash, but that he himself did not see the social media problem coming. Um, and it really wasn't until November 2016 that he suddenly realized. Yeah what it was doing in our culture and 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 uh how prevalent it had become and and made that connection finally we need to still crash social media <laughs> yes we do yeah you know it's funny that you mentioned how little the actual snow crash virus shows up in the book mm. it's used on david i'm gonna overpronounce that again you mean defivid defivid <laughs> i tried this, pronouncing it in yeah my head that way i couldn't this comes from a conversation with mike and i where i'm like i refuse to pronounce kesha's name kesha for a while so i kept saying her name key dollar sign ha because she used that dollar sign for an s and i'm like fuck you that's not how the language works but she's uh, progressive man come on yeah, she's real progressive. She's stopping the spread of the virus with language diversification, clearly. In fact, sure. I was thinking about changing the S in my name to a dollar sign. Now what? <laughs> dollar sign Hong. <laughs> I like it, man. There you go. Yeah. Um, 
I lost my train of thought now, unfortunately. I'm just going to say, I really hope yeah, the microphone... Yeah, the Kikori is kicking in now. I hope the microphone is picking up all of our ice, our beautiful um, artisanal ice chunks. Yes, yeah. yes, I hope so too. And and we should point out, Adam lost his train of thought because we're all doing too much. We're all working too hard. Mm-hmm. And there's a folktale written on this bottle about the dangers of working too hard. If you're listening, Kikori, we are looking for sponsors. Yes, we are auditioning sponsors. <laughs> and we are enjoying your whiskey products. So. We actually, I am thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. Much more am. so, I think we all agreed, much more so uh, with the ice cube. Oh, yeah. Yes. Ice Which is not how I normally feel when drinking whiskey. but Agreed. I would, I would say so in this, uh, with this one. Mm-hmm. So you were making a point about Defyvid. Has it come back? Oh, snow crash. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah. So the idea that the title problem only appears really three times right so raven tries to give it to hero when he enters the black sun for mm-hmm. the first time and we see it then to five it david gets it <laughs> and totally gets put in a coma right and then the end amplitheater incident where heroes programming saves a day and saves all the hackers of the world presumably it's interesting to me that it doesn't get developed more thoroughly but i also immediately thought well this is pretty prescient because it feels like a qr code right he talks about like black and white bitmaps and it feels a lot like a qr code that when you look at you scan and you get extra textual information from it so i guess in that way i thought stevenson was able to predict yet another thing he said it was like white was a one, black was a zero or something like that. So yeah. it was binary in that regard. And only hackers could be affected by it because they can speak binary. Yeah. That was an interesting concept that, again. Yeah. There are I, one zero types of people. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it. Go for it. Go ahead. Or even just happened to be standing outside the black sun when Hero was there. It, 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 he was intentionally trying to infect hero yeah, yeah. He, he calls hero by name i get yeah. that i but it's like the sequence of just again casual coincidence mm. i find it to be thin it's a thin it's like the thin causality behind all porn it just it was <laughs> it was i'm here to clean your brain yeah. have this snow crash it was just i don't uh, have any money we'll have to come uh, to some <laughs> other kind of arrangement to me the, the story would make more sense if like raven was the head of a uh, a chain of different people like him that were out there trying to spread snow crash and mm-hmm. there were just like or they use all the wirehead people they go yeah. into the metaverse and they're the ones that are just happen to be there but it had to be well, raven there was it one, had to be raven mm-hmm. there was a wirehead in the black sun yeah he cut him down right yeah he cut his arms off and he's like walking away right but that made sense to me but the fact that it was raven like that guy's so busy he's everywhere he's doing <laughs> he everything he's, he's a like, super busy merc he's yes, like he a like a bond henchman he's freaking yeah. jaws or or odd job he's just there at every single moment doing every single thing picking up 15 year olds but again he's a pretty badass character and i can get stevenson's <laughs> need to use him because it's like that is a pretty cool character yeah he is he's very yeah he's, he's and he incites he incites most of the physical violence right. Mm-hmm. all right let's talk about it let's just do it sure all right. you want to get to the so uh, you're talking time. about the, we all know what we're gonna get to here yeah you're talking about the statutory rape <laughs> it needs yeah. it needs to be talked about now yeah. i will say that it was already uncomfortable like through a lot of the book when every time she goes anywhere uh, you know it's like oh and everyone like turned to like watch her ass as she was walking and yeah. you're like you know this girl's 15 you know yeah, like that, that that's uncomfortable yeah. to read you know but but then yeah it went to the next level with the whole uh the raven um, it, if you would have just <laughs> aged her up 
to nineteen. Why is she not even eighteen? Even eighteen, like that would have made it less uncomfortable. It would have changed so much because this might need to get excised from the cast. But we work with fifteen-year-olds all the time, and they are such children. Yeah, they are children. They're freshmen. Exactly. They're not sophisticated. Like, and again, maybe maybe we're just like blind to what the world can really be like. They don't live in Franchulets, man. But she does. They don't poon buildings well, and, or poon cars as they go by. In, in a different kind of book, I think there'd be room for a scene like this because you're trying to make some kind of larger social point. Sure, right. You know, like that. You know that 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 men do. You know, behave in creepy ways toward women, um, no matter what their age, because men can be fundamentally creepy. But yeah. that's not this kind of book. This isn't like a. This isn't that kind of book that's making a lot of. It's making a lot of social observations, but not those kinds of social observations. Right. And agree. it's not presented in the book in a way where it's seen as like wrong either. Like he's not trying to shed light on a problem with no. Him. It's just there. She's fifteen. She has sex with the antagonist. And stabs him in the dick Moves with on. a needle that she's hiding in her vagina, and then we go to the next scene. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was almost like she had to be fifteen for certain elements of the story to make sense. The way Uncle Enzo kind of treats her, mm-hmm. or the way that yeah. others kind of like look down on her is like, "Oh, you're just a dumb kid." Right. But then there were other parts where he didn't want a fifteen year old; he wanted like a, a, a seductive, you know, older girl who that Raven would notice. Right. Or maybe he's just saying that Raven's a sleazy bastard and he'll just take anything that's breathing that's not with a wire in its head or something. I don't know. But but he if if that's the point that he's trying to make, at the same time, that's the part in the book where he starts trying to humanize Raven too, with all that backstory. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the way, you know, his people were mistreated by the Americans during like the nuclear, mm-hmm. you know, uh, experiments and stuff. So all of a sudden Raven becomes not just a monster, but like a monster who was created. That's pretty like, stereotypical though. I mean that, but I'm yeah. saying if, if you're trying to like paint Raven as like, well, look, he's the kind of guy that would fuck a 15 year old girl. <laughs> then it's a strange time in the book to do it when you're yeah, also I trying to they, humanize him with that backstory. That's a good point. It was yeah. unnecessary. It was completely, I, totally unnecessary. Right. Like it felt like he was trying. So Stevenson was trying to get YT in the right place at the right time to kick the, uh, Nam Shub of Enki off the helicopter. Yeah. And there were other ways to do that besides having her fuck Raven. Mm-hmm. Well, but he had the Chekhov's gun. He had the Dentata that was teased throughout the whole throughout thing. The whole, oh, yeah. I'm wearing a Dentata, so he so clearly did it. But you know what? Yeah. As soon as he says the word Dentata, my mind goes immediately to the vagina Dentata that I learned about in Shakespeare 2 in college where we're talking about a vagina with teeth. Yeah. Which would be, you know, one of these... Ma- and I'm thinking it's like some kind of fucking bear trap that she keeps down That's there. That's exactly what I thought. Yes. That yeah. As soon as the guy gets his like dick Like an acne bear trap... Oh, that goes, would have been so much I was reading that off. breathlessly anticipating yeah. her sitting there like thinking yeah. like, oh, oh wait, man. no, I know what's going to happen next. And like, just, just try it, motherfucker. And whatever. And like, all of a sudden he's riding on the ground him. with yeah. her while his fucking dick is like withering <laughs> right in front of him. But no, no. she wants it. Right. She accepts it. Right. She like fucking, what did she say? I came as soon as he was, and then he fell over yeah. on top of yeah. me. I'm like, well, is yeah. his dick severed? Is he bleeding out? Like what's yeah. happening? Right. No, yeah. it was a fucking needle of cocaine or whatever. I'm like, that's it. Right. That, that's a, such a misnomer. <laughs> but, but and that's another thing that goes back to the writing is like there, there's different ways. You you still could have had that scene if you were doing it differently. And one of those ways would have been she didn't want it to happen. She was resisting. Yeah. She was right. trying to get away or something. And yeah. then now you're doing character work. You're showing right. Raven to be a, a you know what the monster that he is. I wanted yeah, it to but, be. I hate to say it. This sounds horrible. I wanted it to be a rape. Right. Not a consensual right. act. Yeah. Well, right. because she's 15. Yes. And because that would make Raven more of a villain. 
mm-hmm. we haven't gotten any character work, like you said, up until that point right. where Raven starts talking about being an Aleut mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. There's also the part, too, that she was on the raft for quite a while. And we don't know if she was just subject subjectionable to anything because of the, her exposure to all of that. Oh, because she was, like, mm, babbling right. and feeding fish heads to people for well, She weeks. says she didn't commit to it or whatever, but at the same time, she also talked about how she felt good about it, like, when they were in the van and they're right. taking her there. Yeah. And that was another problem I had. Like, the way that her mother – and her mother didn't sell her out, but it sounds almost like her mom sold her out. Yeah. And then the government is, like, basically hijacks her and gives her to this religious cult. Pretty much, yeah. But there was very little, like, oh, that's it's just – again, it was a convenient way to get her to the raft. Yeah. And it felt like there might have been other ways she could have got there. I, I, I agree. I had no use for that scene. I, I was disturbed by it. I didn't think it was doing any positive work in terms of narrative or character or social themes. I, I thought it was just <laughs> very the idea of the dentata is very cool. And now I regret that it was not a bear trap. That would have been even cooler. Well, it allows him to do his thing first. Yeah. That's what gets me. It's right. like, no, yeah. but that's yeah. a piece of purpose. Yeah. No. I thought it was some kind of awesome chastity belt, like Mel Brooks right. style. Mel Brooks again. Yes. Yeah. That would have been like, bam, he's yeah. dickless now. Like, that <laughs> yeah. would have been dickless Raven. That would have been an antagonist I could get behind. That's yeah. a Bond villain right there. He yeah. has no dick. Yeah. yeah. He's got no teeth. She's well, wearing his dick around with a necklace next to, to fucking Uncle Enzo's dog tags. All right. This is not the things they carried. <laughs> this is my fanfic. This is my fanfic. She becomes Marianne or whatever from uh, Things They Carried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sweetheart of the song Trebon. Yes. There you go. <laughs> if uh, if I could balance out my disgust with this scene with a scene that I, I thought was just great. I was cheerleading through the whole thing. It's when... Hero protagonist is surrounded in a bar by a bunch oh. of violent white supremacists. Yeah. I did enjoy that one. At which point he has no choice but to pull his katana and decapitate one of them and Love run out. That. The yeah. description of that decapitation yeah. uh, was good. Was like a highlight of the book for me. Well, because yeah. in, in in the metaverse, of course, the sword goes right through. There's no <laughs> resistance, but there's a surprising amount of resistance, and yet. It still only takes him one shot. He gets the head yeah. off in one shot. Yeah. I love his he attention to detail there yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of like he's he forgot to snap the yeah. strike off, and <laughs> right. so it's sticks, it in, sticks the spinal in the column. spinal column. <laughs> but then there's that spray from both carotids that hits the ceiling. So like oh, that felt very Kill Bill to me. Yeah, yes. slow yes. motion up in the air, and he's considering what to do. And the next, you know, racist white supremacist right. is coming at him, and he reloads the katana over right. his head yep. as he brings it down again. And I love that scene. Oh, that was great. That yeah. scene that was very. That was the promise of the whole book to me. Yeah, like that scene shows me what it what it could be if he cleaned up some of those other issues. That it, that's just me. You guys loved it, and I it's salute fine. you for that. It's fine. But there were issues for me. Aside from that, but I love that scene. Again, he went into so much detail. Like, you know, the guy studied like katana usage or samurai right. sword yeah. usage. Like he and he gets into the whole like what I think it's Wakashi, the way that he uses the short sword, the short sword, yeah. and then he uses the, versus the long sword. And he talks about the way that the blood is dappling on someone's drink glass as he's running past them, mm-hmm. and all this like really intense detail was like fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. That part of the book was fa- was just amazing. I want the whole thing to be like that, to feel like that. But there was those, again, those those things that took me out of that. Yeah. I felt this book was kind of like a blockbuster movie in that, mm-hmm. 
you're gonna have to forgive some of the ideas for not being fully developed and the characters for not being fully developed and just enjoy the action scenes like can we talk about reason for a second oh. <laughs> they will listen to reason sure that was a great to... oh, I like that one. great <laughs> Mr. Ng was awesome yes that dude just like the fact that he's like a disembodied like bag of meat in a van like a, like a, like a battle van <laughs> yep. like that was super cool and the, the reason thing and the rat things like at first I'm like what oh, the hell the is oh thing, we haven't yeah. even talked Talked the, about the good boy rat right. thing. The rat thing that saves her in the end. Yeah. And all that. And those like, things were really interesting, the way that he wrote them. Like, because it's it's not just a robot dog. It's a dog who's been yes. turned into sort of like, what would the word be? A cyborg? Uh, like, yeah. what is yeah. uh, But in just how it says yeah. they'd, be, they'd be dead or they'd be this. Which one yeah. do you think would be better? Right. And then, but then, <laughs> so then we get the perspective of the rat thing, where yeah. it still behaves like a dog, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. he's. Nice dog barking. That's right. And. Yeah. and I, th- I thought all that was cool. There's a fence, but he knows he can't jump over it. And he, he likes that girl. And if those bad men come for that girl, he's going to go after them. And, you know, and then we get we get that inner perspective. And then we get the outer perspective where it's this terrifying cyborg creature yes. that moves faster than you can see. Nuclear power. <laughs> yeah. Right. Shooting sparks down the runway <laughs> yeah. at LAX. It's traveling at a thousand Windows miles blowing hour. up in yeah. cars and shit. Yeah. 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 Good dog. It's something like good dogs don't break the sound barrier, but. I forget yes. about the sound barrier. <laughs> Crack it open. That was awesome. Oh, I loved that. Like, yeah. that for me is what World War Z was missing. It was missing that moment of victory. Yeah. yeah. Where you, I don't care. I knew what was coming. I knew we were going to win. And contrary to a lot of dystopian uh, fiction, we got what we wanted. Yeah. Right? Every bad guy was taken care of systemically. Chapter by chapter in the last five chapters. Agreed. Great. Although Raven escapes, right? Like, he lives. He escapes. Does he? But that's fine. The, the last thing I remember, I actually meant to ask you guys this question, was un- Uncle Enzo rolls over with, like, a knife or something? And he, yeah. sa- he says, he like, do you want to shave? I prefer steel. Yeah, and he's yeah. he asks him if he wants to shave or something, and the implication is he's about to cut his throat. So does Raven escape or not? I At don't that know point, they... Raven was hobbling because he had right. his, yeah. his attendant cut. But there was a talk about a shadowy figure or something around the other side of an airplane or something hobbling away. So he... Okay. Right before Enzo holds up his single-bladed knife. There you go. We all actually have the book this time. (laughs) Though none of us go back to it. Mike, um, Sean is now. Enzo shoots that sonic blast or whatever it is. Right. From the skateboard that he's going to give YT. Right. At... Um, Raven, right, and it shatters all of the blades in Raven's coat. The, the narrow cone tuned mm-hmm. shockwave yes. projector. Yes, <laughs> that was awesome. Yes, great idea. And it says like if Uncle Enzo can ever hear again, it'll right. be very poorly. Right. He rolls on his back and waves his straight razor in the air. I prefer steel myself. He says, "Would you like a shave?" So does he not kill him then? I isn't think he gets the... away because isn't there something? Soon after that, where he is hobbling away, though his Achilles is cut and he's been blasted by that shockwave. There's the point where it talks about um, Rife trying to get on the airplane, changes his mind, and he gets back on it when he sees the rat thing billowing towards him at Mach whatever. <laughs> and yeah. it basically eviscerates the jet and destroys yeah. him. Goes up the back uh, the, blue flame. She stays a while. How sweet. She watches all that happen. The dog commits kamikaze for her. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, mafia chop. He's doctors jumping out with doc boxes and blood bags and stretchers. So we imagine Uncle Enzo survives. Yeah, he does. Mafia soldiers scurrying between the private jets, apparently looking for someone. Mm-hmm. Apparently looking for someone. My take is that that because he's this omni incredible everything, he gets yeah. away. Yeah. Pizza delivery car takes off from one of the parking areas. Tiger squealing. 
That's probably him. Okay. And yeah. a mafia car peels out after it in hot pursuit. And and if he had died, the bomb would have detonated, right? Isn't that Raven's thing? If right. his heart yeah, his stops, heart the bomb There was no indication of where the bomb was at that point. Like, okay. Where was his motorcycle? He was, yeah, he wasn't on that's his true. motorcycle. Yeah, right. It could have been on the raft. It could have been somewhere in hmm. California. We don't know. Okay. But she doesn't care because that just ends with her going home. Mm-hmm. Sounds nice. Or whatever and, she says and, to and him. And that home. was it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Home sounds, it seems about right. Yeah. You know, it was weird for me. The whole time I'm reading it, I kept thinking that, like, we're supposed to be taking what was reality as actually not reality. And I kept thinking of it as, like, a metaverse within a metaverse in a way. An inception, man. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, I w- again, maybe I was digging for something deeper that I should have just treated it like John Wick or treated it like something not as what I was expecting. But I kept thinking, like, all this shit sounds like it's something that exists in a video game. Yeah. And then maybe that's just, she's just playing a video game or something like that, or she's in some kind of other reality. The idea of reality is another theme often explored in, in Stevenson's fiction. In his latest novel, Dodge, he basically takes, you know, there, there's the scientific theory of, you know, us living in some sort of created universe already. You know, there, there's the idea that if there's even the slightest like possibility that technology will reach a point someday where we can create fabricated reality so real that the people in it wouldn't know they were in it, then there's also the likelihood or at least possibility that it's already happened, right? Mm -hmm. So this book, Dodge, is about a character uh, who dies and uh, because he's like a, a, a billionaire, he's able to have his consciousness like uploaded, the first being to have his consciousness uploaded to this kind of fabricated mm. reality. And then Neil Stevenson starts building it from there. He becomes this godlike figure and then more and more people come into it. And that's where the Paradise Lost shit comes in. Yeah. But, you know, but but he, he talks about in that book, you know, one of the ideas explored is this idea of what would it be like living in a fabricated reality? Would the people in that reality even uh, like know or recognize mm-hmm. that? Or would they have any way to, to, to perceive it or anything to compare it to that would even, you know, be a hint that they were not living in a, a real world? Whenever I talk about uh, illusion, not illusion. Damn you, Kikori. <laughs> uh, I'll edit out the silence. What is the... Uh, uh, allegory. Whenever I teach allegory, mm-hmm. I always talk about the cave. We get into that, and then it's blowing fifteen-year-old mind, YT's mind. I talk about the theory that just like Raven did. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> Yikes! Um, I talk about the uh, <laughs> the scientific idea, like you were just talking about, that it is much more likely, based on the age and size of the universe, that we live in an alien simulation of mm-hmm. reality than that we actually live in reality. And they always look at me like, period is ending. Why are you bringing this up now? <laughs> and then I go like, I go think about it. And I always get a few that come back the next day going like, you know what? I'm questioning reality now. And then I have to point them to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who debunks the whole thing on YouTube and pretty mm-hmm. much talks about how if we were living in a simulated reality, we'd either be the first and that's very unlikely, or we'd be the last, which is also as he comes up with some kind of mathematical principle that Mm -hmm. proves like it's not likely that we are. Right. But I was also going to say, you guys think I hated this book, but I, uh, I was taken enough with it that I started looking up sequels just to see if he ever got back into this universe again. Mm -hmm. And I guess the diamond age, I don't know if you've read that one. Uh, Many, many years ago, I did not enjoy it nearly as much as some of his other books, but the book has made like very serious fans. So it supposedly exists in the same 
universe is this? A lot of yeah. his books do. There's like there there's there's stories of his that are written like hundreds of years apart, but right. they have like ancestors of characters that show up in other books. Right. And, um, that you know, seems to be a common cyberpunk thing. Yeah, that's a very Stephen King kind of thing too. Like, that, yeah, that everyone story, lives in New England. That Dark Tower connection between everything, right? Yeah. But um, he talks about how YT is the older lady in that movie, Diamond Age or whatever. She's oh, like, oh, she's the elderly lady in it or whatever. And okay. she, she refers to being a skateboarding punk or something like that at one point. I don't remember that, but yeah, he's got a lot of those. Um, some of the characters that showed up in his uh, Cryptonomicon, which is like World War II era. There's then older like ancestors of those characters that are major protagonists in the baroque cycle um, is the last name protagonist no they oh, uh right, they damn. have uh, no more normal names but in <laughs> um in his most recent book dodge the character who dies that then goes into the simulated reality is a character from a previous novel of his called reamd i don't know if that's how you it's r-e-a-m-d-e um but it's uh, th- a character from that book that then is like the major character in hmm. Dodge. So he, yeah, he hmm. does that kind of thing a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Were Heroes Dead or, or uh, uh, Ravens Dead in that, in that one? Not that I recall. No. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, now's a good time to kind of plug the fact that HBO is optioned. They've picked up the rights to the book. And so we've got a lot of hope for this series, or I have a lot of hope for this this series, right? It's going to be a, a mini series, kind of like the Watchmen. I just, I think that's probably the way a lot of these kinds of properties are going in that direction now. Mm-hmm. So that makes the most sense. Limited series, like right. six episodes, eight long episodes. form movie storytelling, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think of the books that we've read so far. This one has the best chance of being entertaining, right? And still being able to be faithful to the book in that regard. Well, you helped me with this because I think I can take it a little less seriously. Yeah, maybe, and and that's everything part of my is problem. so postmodern, man, and postmodern <laughs> doesn't take itself seriously. I'll take one. If the yeah, okay, so we should pause at this point for uh, people at home who are uh, hopefully drinking along with us. You should refill. We we yes, you should, which is what we're doing, and we're we're in the process of switching from the whiskey to uh, a Malting's Irish Ale. Yeah. Yes, yes, Soldiers. which has no connection to the book. No, but Stevenson mentions in uh, in an interview that you can see on YouTube uh, where he disparages IPAs and then picks a red ale. So of course that seemed like the the good follow up to the whiskey. Yeah. I agree with him on that. IPAs suck. <laughs> and I will Here's say, man. Sullivan's Brewing Company. If this is good and you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> again we'll see you on the other side. Can't see. We have refilled our glasses here. We're drinking some uh, Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red, which is delicious, mm-hmm. nice and chewy. And uh, we are just getting to the end of Snow Crash, and we were just chatting a little bit about Fido slash what we think is Dog One Eight Seven. As I joked, One Eight Seven on a motherfucking Elbob <laughs> Rife. Because <laughs> we were we were talking about reason. Yeah, how badass that was. We have not talked about Reason, the motherfucking railgun of yes. meteorites. Railgun Gatling gun with depleted uranium rounds. It just wipes out an entire boatload of uh, pirates and then uh, is used again later by hero protagonist as he uh, blows a hole in a side of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> the yes. Enterprise. No from less. a pontoon. The Enterprise, yes. <laughs> yeah, from a pontoon boat. 
No, not even a pontoon boat. It's a fucking it's Zodiac. A Zodiac. Something. Yeah, it's an yeah. inflatable raft, more <laughs> or less. It's a sit. Yeah, it's a six by ten inflatable raft yeah. that's got an outboard motor on it. I love how it's got this little cooling thing that goes into the water and the steam rising steam lets, them, the, lets the the friggin' guns on the deck of the flight the the carrier there like zero in on them. Yeah. Like, oh, they can see my yeah. steam, so he has to leave. You know, at first I thought that was another thermonuclear weapon. That was being toted around by the yeah. mafia because mm. of the steam being yeah. in the water. And then I'm like, oh, they'll listen to reason. <gasps> oh, they'll listen to reason. <laughs> it's still nuclear you. powered. Like everything Ing yeah. has is nuclear powered. Yeah. But I mean, to go back to an earlier conversation, reason and and using it to blow a hole in a side of an aircraft carrier is another one of those things we talked about earlier. Like you either love that or you just find it absurd. And I actually liked it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, oh, good. I'll All right. Thank you. And then he climbs through the hole and proceeds yeah. to just start like killing everybody with no, samurai cool He gets first and second degree burns yes. going yes, through it right. because it melts his suit. So but there's that, your realism. But there was another yeah. part, like he got, what was it? He got like broken ribs and all this, but that never yeah. came back to haunt him. No, you're right. I will agree that that was totally forgotten about. He gets yeah. broken ribs. Again, it's almost like he had uh, like ADD while he was writing it. Like, oh, that's another great idea. And I got to write yeah. it as fast as I can. I can't think back on what I wrote before because that would be ridiculous. Welcome to postmodernism. Yeah. ADD yeah. is just a, a feature and not a bug. Well, I read uh, somebody described Neil Stevenson once. This was years ago, probably a book review, uh, but they described him as from reading his books, you envision the author being somebody who shows up at your door to stay overnight and they're carrying suitcases full of their notes and books that they're <laughs> researching and also a shitload of pot. Yes. <laughs> Feels right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I did enjoy Reason though. I thought Reason was great. I thought mm-hmm. that was a really cool thing. And, and I'm sitting there going like, oh, that's why the suitcase is so heavy. It's the depleted, <laughs> depleted. He, he explained it, which was, yeah. which was really cool. There the you go. It was very cool. I thought yeah. that I thought that was neat. I liked it. I liked, uh, you know, speaking of the mafia, though, uh, I I thought it was cool how Uncle Enzo kind of became an interesting character as the book went on. With the last like ten chapters, in the beginning, mm-hmm. he's almost this like sort of Big Brother caricature. You know, he's he's like the one everybody's terrified of. You better get it there in thirty minutes because Uncle Enzo will have to apologize, and if he has to do that, then and then he actually shows up as a character, and he's described as this very charismatic. You know, person, YT, like immediately feels like drawn to him and he's got this interesting Vietnamese. Yeah, she's, she's drawn to older issues. men. We know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's got this interesting Vietnam backstory he tells at mm-hmm. one point about how they had a commander who didn't understand what they had to do to survive. And, you know, I think it's YT asks him, like, well, how did it turn out? And he's like, well, it turned out fine. I cut his throat. You know, like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Uncle Enzo kind of becomes an interesting character as the book goes on. I thought it was weird that he actually had a an interaction with Raven at the end. It's like that felt a little bizarre. Like he's like a big heavy, right? It just felt like Raven or Enzo. Enzo. Yeah. He was like yeah. he's he's like a big deal. And for him to get like his hands dirty tangling with Raven, it felt out of character almost yeah. like the way he was developed. But it was Chekhov's gunned because when who was it who had like the millimeter wave was like, I can see you have one Kong buck and some extra Kong change. And you've got a straight razor in your other pocket. True. They brought that part up. But that was not until he was already there at the action. It's like, yeah. it felt like the whole time they built him up again is like, oh, he's got henchmen driving around in Oldsmobiles, which you missed a mark on that one. The Oldsmobile is dead. And they're like. Not in 92, it wasn't. Yeah. But, you know. Anyway. So he's got these guys who do all this work for him. And Fisheye was like his main lieutenant 
even though I hate the word lieutenant, that was his guy. Well, so did Enzo. Right. But then for him to show up at the end like that, it felt weird, almost like, uh, I don't know, like a like a boss on a video game shows up to fight with you at the end. It I, just felt bizarre. I do agree with Adam's Chekhov's gun argument, though, because there were the things you just said. There was the Vietnamese backstory. Mm-hmm. There was, like, him practicing with a skateboard at earlier points in the book. Yeah. You know, and you knew that all of weird, that was like, there for a reason. Thing. He has yeah. combat experience. The yeah. skateboard's going to be significant at some point. I guess I imagine Uncle. I imagine Uncle Enzo to look more like Russ Salvatore or something like <laughs> Marlon like, Brando. Yeah, probably. like not exactly like a young. Man. <laughs> yeah. You come to me and you ask me to kill Raven for money. Yeah, <laughs> take the gun, leave the cannoli. <laughs> Again, his the way he deals with time and the way things work out historically within this text. It, it's weird to me just again yeah you know like that like Enzo i being, totally ignored that on purpose i should have i should have really <laughs> no no, no i mean you're right to pay attention to that like yt should be way older mm-hmm. so should hero and enzo should be dead essentially well he should be a lot older than he is and then el bob rife being what was he like he must have been in his 60s or 70s according like probably more like his 60s the way they described him yeah but again, the guy was there from like the fifties buying up. Like he's basically like Rupert Murdoch, you know, like yeah. that weird time. Just I guess you. The way I started resolving it in my mind was that it takes place in an alternate universe, like year nineteen ninety eight or something. Yeah, and it just yeah. technology exploded from ninety two on, and all of a sudden we've got the metaverse and all this, and that's the only way I can make it work. Uh, Stevenson talks about like this. Um, you know, he he thinks. Uh, most dystopian fiction is wrong in the sense of it often goes for images that look good on the screen. So you have like wrecked trains and like blown up buildings and stuff like that. You know, he said one of his ideas with writing a novel like Snow Crash is uh, he believes a dystopia actually doesn't look that different from our vision of like our world, maybe a little bit in the future. The dystopian elements don't necessarily have to come from like devastation and war and things like that and, like, yeah, and he had that though with like that desert scene by lax where she had to go and get the vial of snow crash with ing like that was extremely in that whole what was that though vein. that was like radioactive that was radioactive no, it was asbestos it was asbestos that it, was you're buried. right it yeah. was asbestos that they had like strip mined and left on top of the surface yeah. of california yeah but at the same time i'm like we live near love canal is that that different some of our driveways within a hundred mile radius are radioactive. I'm not all that surprised. Yeah, people aren't living on like landfills now. Like that, that part of it, it kind of falls in line with the anti what he's saying then in a way, like he still had that element in there a little bit. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of both. Look, can we, before we get out of here, can we, can we talk yeah. about the Nipponese rap artist, Sushi K? Cause I mean, <laughs> oh, that was one what of the an best awkward, but awesome. Yes. I mean, some of these lyrics, terrible. like a, like a serious scene is unfolding here where he's like tracking Raven and like a shady deal is going down and it's set against these lyrics such as I'm Sushi K and I'm here to say. I like to rap in a different way. Look out number one in every city. Sushi K rap has almost pretty. And it goes on like this for pages and on end. <laughs> it's totally white guy rap. It's I like awful. to rap about sweetened romance. My fond ambition is of your pants. <laughs> a poet this man is. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It really is, you know, like. Part of me was like, this is awkward because it's like <laughs> a non-native English speaking rapper yeah. trying to come before 
Vitali, Chernobyl, and right. the Meltdowns. Oh, and the Crips were running security. Right. And the Crips were running yeah. security. I'm like, where are the Bloods? That was one cool thing about the novel, in hindsight, and then I, at the time reading it, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So the Mafia runs all the pizza deliveries, and the Crips run, they, they run like L.A., basically. Like, yeah. Yeah. to me, in my mind, I'm sitting there going, like, that would fucking never happen. But then... I'm looking at it now going but then it does. that actually in the absence of central government and they say there's no laws and all that, you think about it, those kinds of illegitimate enterprises become legitimate in that vacuum and they mm-hmm. sort of fill that power line. And I'm yeah. thinking like that actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. We see it in places where the United States has tried to become a colonial power, but then stopped short of actually installing a colonial government in that foreign place and you see the Taliban providing government services as opposed to some government in that way. Well, they came in the essence of the Soviet Union. Well, that too. But uh, in Iraq, I see what you're saying, like that kind of an idea. Yeah. When you take out the government, yeah. you will get privatized sectors who fill in the voids Well, it and the, it won't be great. The Kurdish area in the north of Iraq is a great example of that where these pretty much are their own autonomous zone. Yeah. You mean Kurdistan? Well, officially recognized yet, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire breathing lizard goes. Here we go. He my always big time hero. That's a great Godzilla (laughs) shout out, by the way, because the original Japanese movie is Gojira. So we've come to the point where I think we've talked about the beginning all the way to the end, the climax. I have reached my climax to just hit that sexual (laughs) innuendo. It's always um, disappointing. Yeah. Well, is, I suspect a little fake sometimes. I can't be sure. Yeah. And it only took me a couple minutes. So. <laughs> I did. I will say this. I did like how the book just ends and there's no sure like, does. weird anticlimax yep. or there's no. no like come down like, like, all right, now we're just going to sit there and cuddle for a while. It just sort of ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've come to the point where we should probably say yay or nay to mm-hmm. this book. And unlike the last episode, I'm going to make us give a yes or no while most of us sat on the fence for the last one. Mm-hmm. Shit. Yes. Get <laughs> off the fence, you Harvey Danger flagpole sitter. <laughs> Damn. It's like a fucking regions exam. I gotta pick a pick side. Pick a side. <laughs> Fuck. What if the I other like side, side doesn't exist. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Alright. I'll give you like ten seconds. Looks like Mike's ready to go. I'm I, yeah, I mean, I'll go. I'll go. I, uh, I obviously would recommend this book. I would tell anyone who reads it to keep in mind that this is... Um, you know, what I would call Neil Stevenson light. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also the best possible entrance into, I mean, the the, the, the literature of, of Neil Stevenson is, is um, really rewarding if you're into that kind of thing. But it's also very, very heavy and it's, it's, it's a heavy lift. I think that Snow Crash is maybe not his best work or his most in-depth work, but I think it's uh, just a good entry point. I think it's a good way to decide if you're going to like these kind of themes and this style of writing. Mm-hmm. If you like Snow Crash, then you might want to check out the Baroque Cycle or Dodge or uh, any of his other, you know, Cryptonomicon, um, his more well-known works. Snow Crash is a good way to decide if if Neil Stevenson is for you. And worst case scenario, uh, you know, even if you don't enjoy it, there's there's stuff in it worth reading, and it's it's a fast read. It's it's fun. There's a lot of stuff in it yeah. to. Uh, to enjoy. So I, I obviously would recommend it. So I'm a yes. I'm a yay. I'm a yay too. I'm not going to wait until the end. Like last time, I'm going to say yes. Uh, fast, fun, steampunk. Yeah, there are plot holes. Yeah, there are character development issues. But you know what? Who cares? There are samurai swords. There are motorcycles, motorcycles <laughs> that go a thousand kilometers a second in the metaverse. 
And uh, there's reason the depleted uranium Gatling gun, <laughs> which is just fun. So kind of the almost opposite of our previous book. Uh, this is still heavy in some ways, like Mike was saying. But you know what? It's a good beach read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it or go ahead and read it. Just be high. <laughs> sure. Don't take it too seriously. But... Just make sure that your state allows for recreational use of marijuana before you. Well, there's other ways to get high. I mean, we're right now we are drinking a delicious Sullivan's Malting's so... Irish Ale, which is getting the job done after a good couple of Kikori Kikori whiskey product of Japan. So you know. <laughs> There's other kinds of high. I'm feeling That's pretty good fair. right now. And I'd say if I was in this state while I was reading the book, I would have a very different take on things. So sure, get your groove on and get you some snow crash. That's right. Enjoy you some cyberpunk. Yeah. I, you sure. know, I didn't hate it. I did not. You know, contrary to what I'm being made out to be, <laughs> I did not hate it. I enjoyed it. I just had my issues. Well, that's fair. All right. That's three yeses from us here at Nerds of the Old Republic. Thank you, Mike, for picking the book. Thank you for bringing the drinks this week. My pleasure. And uh, we will see you next time. Sean, do you want to pitch it into our next book since it's your pick? Sure. Now, I know it was funny during one of our cuts there. I was talking to Mike. And uh, I was talking about <laughs> and a lot of Kikori. I was talking about uh, three thousand one. I'm sitting there going, "I'm going to eat so much shit over this book because it's the same fucking complaints I had about Snow Crash. All description, no story. So get ready, guys. We're going to read three thousand one. It's the uh, the final Odyssey by uh, Arthur C. Clarke. And if you don't want to talk about the OG speculative futurist, there we're going to get into the the end of Hell and the. Um, Damn you, Sullivan's <laughs> and Kikori. Uh, and thank yeah, you. You know, those big black things that like hang out in the desert with the monkey guys at the beginning of 2001. That. There you go. All of that comes bum, to a conclusion. Bum, That's the one. Yes. Bum, 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 bum. Thank you. So join us for 3001 Arthur C. Clarke. Final Odyssey. See you then. 